Welcome to Office Talk, a fortnightly podcast featuring in-depth conversations with leading architects about their approach to business, marketing, and communications. I'm your host, Dave Sharp, an architectural marketing expert and director of Office Dave Sharp, a marketing practice offering specialized consultancy, marketing, and PR services tailored to meet the particular needs of architects. Visit officedavesharp.com to learn more or follow the practice on Instagram at officedavesharp. This episode was sponsored by ArchiPro. ArchiPro showcases the best and latest in the architecture and building industry and helps to connect homeowners with trusted trade professionals and products that will suit their needs. For architects and designers, ArchiPro helps you to create a profile for your practice in a way that best expresses your brand and your work, and then it directly connects you with a niche audience of people on their architectural build or renovation journey. Many architects rely on word-of-mouth referrals or search engine traffic to find new clients, but it can be difficult to attract the people you really want to design for and work with. That's why ArchiPro helps clients to match their specific architectural taste and budget with the right architect or designer for their project. You can also use the platform throughout the design and build journey with your clients by directly sharing inspiration and sourcing products for your projects as well. So if you'd like to find out more about ArchiPro, visit www.archipro.com.au. Joining me on the show today is Derek Swalwell, one of Australia's most respected and widely published architectural photographers. In this episode, Derek and I discussed his analysis of the different trends and fashions he's seen come and go in architectural photography and the design media during his career, and his unique insight into the direction the industry might be heading today. We talked about the common mistakes architects make when it comes to their photo shoots and what practices can do to ensure that their shoots run smoothly and they get the most out of their photographer. We talked about the big question, what is the most important area for architects to focus on with their photography strategy, magazines, awards, or social media? Derek reflects on what his industry-leading clients prioritize when briefing him for their project shoots. And finally, we looked at why Derek recommends architects engage a professional stylist for their shoots and how he thinks about the return on investment professional photography and styling can generate for architectural practices. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Derek Swalwell. Derek, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, no, Dave, thanks, mate. Thanks for getting me on. I'm, um, I'm, I've been anticipating talking to you for a little while now, so I think uh, I think it'll be fun. Oh, that's very exciting. So, as always, probably a good idea to start off with a little bit of a background so that listeners can get a, a get a bit of a sense of your career and kind of where you've come from. So, I'm interested in starting out in photography. Did you yeah. start out as an architectural photographer from the very beginning or did you move from some other area? Yeah, just tell us a little bit more about that. I did, actually. I'd been an assistant uh, both in Australia and in the UK probably a total of about eight years, actually, so a fairly long time. But the guys that I was working for, actually, uh, they weren't architectural photographers at all. Um, they were more sort of commercial advertising, uh, cars, you know, all, all, all kinds of uh, advertising-related work. So that was really my training. But, you know, during that whole time, as much as I did love that style of work, I had a, a fascination with architecture and buildings and an affinity for the built form and I suppose all that also came from various books and film. I guess, you know, when I was when I was an assistant, there was no social media or or any of that sort of thing. Even even the you know, even the internet, I suppose, was it was in in its infancy, which makes me sound, you know, 127. Yeah. But um you know, but I was reading a lot of material. Magazines particularly were big, you know. Uh, I'd get Architecture Review, Architecture Australia. You know, I want to overseas magazines, uh, and I just loved the idea and uh, of photographing architecture in a different way uh, than than you know what I was seeing in a lot of the media. Um, but I just loved the concept, and there was a couple of photographers, you know, that that whose work I followed and really enjoyed. And so I suppose when I got to a point where I felt that I could take the gamble get out of my own, see how I go. That was sort of my first port of call, really. Obviously, I had to continue to work for some of these guys so that I could earn a living. But, uh, you know, you, you do what you do. You go out, you photograph buildings off your own back. You you try to follow the 
construction schedule of your city that you're living in and what's going up, who's building it, um, who are the developers, who are the architects, you know, and just try to negotiate yourself around as much of the industry that you can. And really, you know, you're just, you're just experimenting, I reckon, in the first couple of years, certainly. Yeah. Making mistakes and you know uh, having having wins and and just trying to meet people and and that's essentially how I started out when I stopped assisting or started to sort of uh, fade out the assisting from my life and gradually you start to build a bit of a client base. I also had the idea that as I started to get a few more clients that I would you know expand my repertoire a little bit and. Uh, or certainly in terms of you know where I'm working, so I started to sort of lead into other parts of the world, Singapore, Malaysia, uh, and I've sort of been coming here ever since. But uh, you know, yeah, certainly Australia was sort of where I started, and you know, continue to work quite happily. Yeah, there. But look, you know, it's also uh, full kudos to the architectural community in in Australia for giving me a bit of a go at the time and. Some of those people I've sort of gone on to have a really good relationship with, so it's been, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a, a tough road at times, like I'm sure everyone would 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 say who's doing the same as myself. But um, it's quite rewarding as well. And uh, but you know what? A lot of the time it's based on timing. You know, when you embark upon going out on your own, the climate that you're coming out into, what what is it that you're offering uh, that others may not be offering. Um, I also had, I was also getting, starting to get a lot of editorial work as well. So interiors, I'm talking, you know, uh, Vogue Living and, you know, House and yeah. Garden and that sort of thing. So I had a little bit of a hybrid where I could, I could mix sort of monolithic architectural shots, hero shots and of buildings, external shots of buildings, along with a more sort of intimate, uh, softer interior look. So I was able to mix the two, and a lot of guys hadn't done that. Like, you you know, you'd get a lot of photographers when I started who would be able to certainly pull off the big heroic external yeah. shots, but they were often quite masculine, you know, yeah, yeah, and sort of quite quite blokey. Yep. Quite a lot of distortion and, and you know, super hyper-saturated hyper colours. But then the same thing would apply to the interiors that they did, and – I just think there was an appetite at the time for interior shots, a way of approaching interiors that was just a little more, yeah. can I say, shaped like your eye would see things. Yeah. Just a little softer, a little tighter, tighten up the lenses a bit and just get a slightly more intimate look. Yeah, so that's really, I think like that sounds almost a little bit of ahead of its time in a way because that seems to me to describe, you know, what kind of photography, architectural photography has kind of become these days. Like it really is a lot more about that mm. sort of softer interior, or at least that's the way it feels like to me. And that seems yeah. to be what like a lot of the publications are kind of championing. Yeah. Have you sort of seen that shift happen over kind of over these recent years? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, it's funny because a lot of, a lot of like, I, I, I mean, this is pretty standard really. It's, it's sort of you watch the, you watch this, how can I say, the flavours of magazines and editorial um publications you, you kind of watch it go through different phases right so you know when the generation before me was doing that big heroic wide you know empty no signs of humanity sort of stuff then that was the fashion I suppose you know and uh, that's what the reader was used to seeing so they kind of went with that but I think when the media get a bit of a taste of something else they grab it and then everyone grabs it and then everyone wants to run with it. And that's sort of the, the way that it appears to flow. When I started to mix the two looks together, I, I did notice that that lifestyle look, especially even, you know, even including people, you know, like you might do a kitchen shot. Even if it's quite an architectural kitchen shot, you might put somebody in the shot, you know, whether it be, I don't know, the mum from the house or the kid sitting at the bench, you know. And that, I think that started to appeal to, to the reader and subsequently to the editorial team. So you'd get more requests for that. And then you were getting briefs where 
there was the, the request was basically to do that in virtually everything, you know. Show us some signs of life, you know. Yeah. You know, then the architects started to pick up on that and they would want that. And then so that sort of began that kind of movement. And, you know, just on the softer interior look, there was others, other guys that were doing that too, of course, at the time, particularly for Vogue and Bell. Uh, but nobody who was really mixing the two, you know, the big style plus the softer interior style together and then bringing people in. I, I think that's why I was successful at that time. And then, as I say, editorial, it shifts through different flavours, you know, and mm. and then it sort of went to flat elevations only, you know, so no 45-degree shots, particularly from interior point of view, you, would, yep. you know, the death of the standing in the corner, wide lens, capturing the entire room yep. was pretty steadfast. It came about fairly quickly once people started to see a style that was a bit more like the, perhaps a bit more like the, the renders or the plans in some way, you know, the elevation of a building flat on. That's not to say it hadn't been done, but, you know, you make a rule for yourself. Where it suits, I'm only ever going to shoot the, the front facade flat on and that's it. I'm going to wait for the lighting and that's what it's going to be. Yeah. And I think that spelt the death of the kind of 45-degree angle stuff yeah. um, fairly quickly. That's not to say that the 45-degree angle stuff doesn't work on some externals. Of course it does. But the big distorted, super wide, 16-millimetre, uh, you know, pull the pull the, the, the roof line right up to camera, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was 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 killed fairly quickly, I think. But yeah. you know, and that's and and the, the flat elevation shot is, of course, pretty much done across the board now, um, whether yeah. it's whether it's me or somebody else. Um, but you know, photography in the architectural world goes through different phases, and I think I'm glad that I was able to carry a bit of a different look for a while. Today's episode of Office Talk is also sponsored by Mast Furniture. Mast Furniture is an established furniture design and manufacturing company based in Brisbane. They've been in operation for 10 plus years and built a national and international reputation for producing original furniture of the highest quality. With an in-depth knowledge of traditional woodworking techniques combined with utilising modern technology, mass production capabilities position them uniquely in Australia to produce high quality, technically challenging furniture. Mast enjoy working with architects and interior designers on both residential and commercial projects, and their range of furniture is small yet considered. In March of this year, Mast released their new Beam collection. Designed by Adam Cornish, Beam focuses on the marriage of upholstery and timber and how to strike a balance between the two. So to learn more about Mast Furniture, visit their website, mastfurniture.com.au or check out their Instagram at mastfurniture. In that sort of environment, you must be pretty comfortable accepting change, right, and mm. flexibility and sort of moving with things, right, because I guess like it's always those those tastes and what people are looking for is always shifting and you're getting these different requests from your clients. I mean, is it a, mm. is it a frustrating thing to, to see that when you kind of go, well, here's the, you know, sort of way that I think is kind of the best way to do it or um, you see stuff out there that's kind of coming up with, some you know some trend taking off mm -hmm. like do you look at that and go oh what do I you know what do I do mm -hmm. here I, I guess that's that's just you with your creative vision for your work but I'm just interested in more about this idea of how much change and experimentation you sort mm -hmm. of see in your process or is it about trying to really narrow in and focus on something a particular way of doing things oh look I think uh, I, I mean I think change is great for example if you start at the top and sort of go okay well the digital change from shooting film. I mean, I started shooting film because as an assistant, it was film and Polaroid. And then I got into architectural work. It was all four by five, big cameras, you know, big film plates, Polaroid, thousands and thousands of dollars on film and materials. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, it was, a, it was hard, it was bloody hard work. So I really welcomed the digital change for you know, as an aspect of change to begin with. And I think it probably did take a while for me to get used to it. You know, I spent thousands of dollars on new camera equipment that I hoped would carry me through to the next phase of that look. And it, did, it took me a while to, to, 
to get that to work for me. But it was it's ultimately changed my career. From the time that I shot film, the main thing for me was re- replicating the film look, and I don't mean colour negative or any of that. Yeah. I mean shooting on film cameras, whether it be uh, transparency or, or, or negative, trying to get that inverted comps, big look, okay, to let's just talk about externals, trying to get that big look on 35mm was pretty much impossible. So I realised I'm going to have to invest in some pretty high-end equipment here to be able to replicate that look because shooting on transparency now, it's not going to be economical because I want to up the client count. Mm. I want to be shooting every day. I want to shoot five or six days a week. Yeah. That was what I wanted to do. So I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to survive on shooting once or twice a week. I want to really ramp it up. I want to shoot five or six times a week. And I realised that, you know, I wasn't going to be able to pull that off economically if I was shooting on film. It would just be an absolute mess. Well, I I mean, maybe some can do it, but I didn't fancy it. But at the same time, I I wanted to embrace the digital stuff. So I spent like 100 grand on on digital backs, lenses and, uh, you know, high-end stuff from the States and from Europe and... Uh, as I say, took me a while to get used to using it, but it did ultimately just completely transform my career because I was able to get, I was able to use the equipment in such a way that I could replicate that sort of big format look, but be able to get lots of options because I'm shooting on digital and therefore I was able to really, really finesse it. Yeah. And then it got to a point I was, that gear and how I used it, that was the recipe for succeeding on pulling in other clients. Yeah. Uh, with that that overall look, and that's what I still shoot on today. Really, like the same the same yeah. equipment, or yeah. really, it's an updated system of what it was yeah. fifteen years ago. Yeah, but it's essentially the same concept. Yeah, large format camera with a digital back, lenses. Uh, you know, may change, and you, you you purchase different lenses to get different looks. But you always find a bit of a sweet spot. You'll have a certain lens that will that's your go to. So something like the 50 millimeter for me on, I use a system called the Cambo with a phase one back. The 50 millimeter on that, that's my sweet spot. That's where I get probably 80, 90% of my hero shots is with that setup. And everyone would have that. Every every successful architectural photographer would have his, his sweet spot lens and, you know, way of using that that gets him the highest hit rate. Yeah, of, of successful pictures. So I guess in terms of change, that sort of was probably the biggest change for me. Um, and it's funny because, of course, now uh, shooting on film for some is it's gone back to shooting on film now. Yeah, it's become kind of um, cool to, to shoot on film. It's become kind of cool. That's yeah. right. Uh, and some are getting some fantastic results out of that. So I, I also love that look too. Mm. Um but for me, just given the volume that I'm shooting, it's just... Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's pre- preferable to, to, to keep shooting on digital. When I find a project that I think suits film, I'll shoot it on film. But generally speaking, uh, I'll, you know, I'll, ha- I'll have to keep that workflow going. Yeah, that's really interesting. So I guess like where you feel that your sort of style of photography sits, whether it's like a combination of the... the you know, the, the judgments you make about the best way to approach a shoot, also the technology that you're using that's sort of your go-to and all of that sort of stuff. How do you feel like your stuff sits in kind of the overall landscape at the moment in terms of what sort of projects you feel mm. that it really is kind of centering around or certain types of publications? Like wh- I guess just relative to what other options, you know, from a client standpoint mm. without obviously talking about specific individuals, but like mm. do you have a sense of kind of, where you sit, like what the what that photography approach kind of means, and and you know you mm. get where I'm kind of getting at with that one. Yeah, sure. I don't know that I do have much of an idea about where it sits in you know, as you say, in the landscape of yeah. the other people that are out there. I think it's just different, and so yeah. therefore you're kind of leaving it up to the clients, or you're leaving it up to the firms really to decide. Well, I think this. You know, this project, I think Derek suits this project or, you know, uh, maybe Derek doesn't suit this one but he might suit this one, you know. Like 
it, I think it's really up to the individual viewer and um, uh, consumer of of the material that you produce as to where you fit in into their way of interpreting their work. The other thing too with me, I think I don't have necessarily just one look. I have a couple of different looks going on. Yeah. And again, that sort of depends on the project itself, like different ways I might approach the project given once I've done a bit of a preview of the job or had a bit of a look or it could be a weather thing or um, it could be the colour scheme that's been used or, or, or quite often it's, you know, how light affects the building as mm. will determine how I'll shoot it as well. The more sort of Baroque and sort of dark a project is, the more likely I am maybe to shoot it on film, for example, mm. Mm. or shoot or shoot it on digital but shoot it quite dark. And yeah. So don't fight against it, actually go quite dark on it. I love your Baroque dark photos. I feel like they're <laughs> – you do dark very Satan well. Satan photos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, no, that is, that, that's become a bit like, is that sort of your specialty a little bit? You see a nice dark yeah, look, kind maybe. of moody project yeah. and you go, oh, sure. that's, yeah. yeah. I think some of that comes from a bit of an editorial look as well perhaps. Yes. Particularly a lot, like I used to read a lot of magazines from Europe yep. and, you know, the French and the Belgian photographers used to have that really dark sort of Rembrandt kind of look. Mm. So... Yeah, I do like to do that. But, again, you know, it very much depends on on the project. Like, you know, it's funny because I'm currently in Singapore and over here the clients who are often a mix of um, they can come from anywhere in the world actually, to be honest, Hmm. they often do think that it's important that they specify to you that they want blue skies, for example. And I have to explain to them, well, look, we're in Singapore. It rains here quite a lot. So here's what I think we should do, and I'll, I'll put together a bit of a mood board with uh, example photographs. I'll take it in overcast weather where I've made projects look quite sort of dark but also quite evocative. Yep. And they'll never have seen that sort of thing before and they'll be like, wow, okay, all right, so is that Singapore? And I'll be like, yeah, this is, this is Singapore. Okay, well, sure, we're happy with that. So you've just got to make them comfortable that, um, obviously, if it's raining, I can't do much because it's raining. Um, and, and when it rains here, uh, you just can't even go outside. You'd be, you'd be just drenched within about five seconds. But, you know, it's funny because over here, typically the expectation of the photographer is that they'll get, that the client will get his, his or her pictures back and they'll be beautiful, bright blue skies. Mm. But that's very difficult to maintain in a place like Singapore. So the onus becomes okay on me a little to present them with a story of an alternate look that they can still be comfortable with. Back at back at home, like it used to be all about blue skies, and I sort of stopped. It's not just me, but a couple of other photographers or a number of other photographers. You know, we stopped wanting to do that because it just got boring. You know what I mean? So yeah. I mean, you, you've only got to look at Instagram now to, to see that. So now the look is sort of gone in the other direction. It's like, okay, yeah. well, the bleaker as possible, the better. And I've I got to say, I really do like that look. Yeah, why do we like <laughs> that look so much? It, yeah. I just think it's it's very sort of, I just think it finally, after decades, it presents a different take on the, on, on, on the buildings, you know. It, it's, it's, and it needs to be shown because... You can't just be showing buildings in blue skies constantly because mm. it's kind of it just feels like it's a true representation of the topography. Yeah. And 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 I think that if you can mix it with a little bit of sunshine as well, I think that's a good recipe. So I sort of try to do a little bit of both. So in terms of so going back to your original question, style-wise, I I, I tried to do a little bit of everything in terms of colours, light and feel, but it sounds a bit weird, but but at the same time retain my own kind of overall look because I think a lot of my look comes through the, probably my compositions potentially and probably my grade, my colour grade as well. Mm, yep. Do you think that, you know, when architects are looking at architectural photography and they found themselves being drawn towards particular photographers, mm. do you think it's the grade that they're 
kind of they maybe don't realize they're kind mm. of really quite drawn to that grade maybe the way that material looks i mean it's all the other factors but mm. you know when you when you instantaneously look at someone's work just a single example and go oh, i really really like that photographer's yeah. work I, mm. I, I have this feeling that that plays a really really big role it's like how you're kind of depicting the reality of that of, of those materials oh, yeah, and the way things sure. look you know yeah look definitely architectural media and photography landscape is going to go through its flavours and you're going to get people that are going to want desaturated, uh, yep. overcast, bleak look and you're going to get those that want a little bit more colour, a little bit little bit more life, uh, you know, just a little bit more, uh, you know, familiarity. Mm. But it really depends on the individual, I think, mm. and the individual firm and and and. But, you know, and then there's firms who, of course, are going to try a few different people. Yeah. Like you'll get a firm who literally every every job they shoot is by a different person. I think that's actually becoming less and less common now. And mm-hmm. when, when a firm settles on a photographer that they're happy with, they do tend to, to, to carry on using that person across a lot of their media. But, yeah, there are others that will literally farm it out Um to a whole lot of different people. Mm-hmm. But I think I think architects do read a lot of, obviously they read a lot of uh, material, but, you know, they're always looking at other photographs of, of other people's buildings, whether it be, you know, locally or overseas. So I think they are influenced by different looks and, 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 and different grades, different ways of interpreting their buildings. So, you know, really it's it's... It's up to whoever the architect thinks is going to best represent, you know, what he has, uh, what he or she has built. And I think that, like, overly colourful works um, are probably better represented by some photographers than others. Mm, yep. The more minimalist um, and lacking in colour sort of schemes are probably going to be more, you know, in the other direction. Yep, I agree. You know, like I've worked for a lot of different people over the years and we've worked together for a long time, then they've they've used another guy for some years, then they've come back to me and then, you know, so it's they, these relationships also ebb and flow and go through lots of different transformations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so. Yeah, when having this conversation with architects about choosing photographers, to shoot their work, you know, there's all these different factors you weigh up. It's like there's the project itself and its characteristics. Mm. There's mm. do we just really like a certain photographer? Have we worked with them mm. before? There's also um, the the publication that we're going for. You know, the publications tend to almost have their own grade to their to their yep. imagery, their editorial style. Like sure. the local project, houses, design yep. all have subtle differences. Then you look at grand designs or house and garden, yep. totally different. Mm. It sort of seems yep. in terms of yep. direction. So there's all these different things, all these factors to kind of weigh up. There's also this other aspect where sometimes you go, you get this second guessing issue where you go, well, you know, I'm an architect and I mm. I like this sort of style of images, but is that just mm. because I'm an architect or do clients kind of, are they looking yeah. at this sort of imagery through a different lens and maybe they prefer something that's a bit more kind of colourful and, and you know, um, yeah. that sort of thing. So there's so many different things. So I'm just interested you have any, if you have any general thoughts on that sort of um, conundrum but also, um, you know, your experience working with a lot of the, the firms that have just really mastered this decision-making in terms of they're mm. really, you know, they've really figured mm. it out. How you think mm. they think about it, like what the successful version of that looks like? I reckon that some firms want to be seen in a specific way mm. by their peers. Uh, well, probably more so by their peers than they do by yep. uh, potential clients. Yep. They want to be. They want. They want their work to be seen to look a specific way. Mm. So they'll choose the photographer based on that. And you know, I've also had the feedback that. Uh, from some clients that I that I currently work for, that it's important that they have photography that when they show potential clients, other like for example, you know they're going to have a meeting with a the client, they're going to want to show past works to, yep. to you know, that they are able to show something that that client can also relate to. It's I think that's important. I've, I've had a few fairly like, uh, sort of well known architects say to me about certain styles. Uh, yeah, but look, mate, we're, you know, we're using you because such and such, we can't use pictures of that type. We, we can't use those other type of pictures because the clients just don't get it. 
Yeah. You know, if we're trying to sell our ideas and our style onto a client, you know, it needs to look like it's achievable, that it's that they can identify with it, not that it's been dipped in sepia for, you know, X amount of time. I mean, it, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. having said that, I do I do like the dipped in sepia look. But, yeah, you know, exactly. it's, yeah. But hey, we're love, in the love, bubble. Love we're in the, we're yeah, in that's the, right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So I do think it's important to clients to be seen in a specific way and some are going to see their work better represented by one guy than another. Yeah. So they'll just stick with that guy. Whereas, as I say, I think my style's probably, I don't know, it's almost like it's a mixture of everything, which yeah. probably sounds a bit rubbish. But, yeah, I, I, I guess I, I have a couple of different things going on and, again, dependent on that on the project really. But I, I've, I've tried to, I have actually tried pretty hard to follow the styles as it's kind of moved over the years, like even before Instagram, you know, you're reading the magazines, you're looking at, mm. at, at, at books and things. I mean, Instagram's another thing we, we'll probably yeah. get to in terms of what that's done for for the industry. But, look, it's, it's just good to watch the different styles flow through and how that filters through to the different avenues and media. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's talk about Instagram and maybe also mm. the media as well because they're all kind of mm. bit intermingled together. What are your thoughts? I mean, like what's the main thing that sticks out to you about maybe not, you know, not so much about how Instagram's changed the world in terms of the last sort yeah. of whatever several years, but I guess, mm, mm. yeah, it's kind of relationship with the media and what you sort of think about it. Oh, look, it's, I mean, Instagram for me just totally transformed my, my career. Yeah. I mean, there was word of mouth, but really... It was, it was only through the printed media, like houses, AR, yeah. stuff like that, that your work was being seen. And then all of a sudden something like Instagram comes along and it's just like, you know, I was just, I just went from shooting once, twice a week, perhaps three times, to shooting freaking every day. Yeah. And, and it, it literally almost happened. It didn't happen overnight, of course, but, you know, it was just so quick. I personally have no no issues with Instagram at all. I put as much work on there as I can. I I mean, I have to be honest, I probably have slowed up a little in because I used to post every day. There'd be something up there every day. Yeah. But you just it just gets hard to maintain maintain that, right? And you know, some guys or certainly architectural firms will have people who run that for them. And I've considered that, but it's funny, those people are actually pretty hard to find. Yeah. Which is which is another subject. But um well, Instagram really has been the one channel in which you have been able to watch styles change and also see stuff from overseas in an instant. So, I mean, really, you could talk for hours about how Instagram's affected the game. It's funny because the crossover between editorial and Instagram was a really was was this sort of political minefield for a little while. Oh yeah, because you would shoot um, you would shoot a job. Let's say I'd, I'd shoot a job for an architectural firm, and uh, they, you know, and it was a killer job. And I, so I'd get, I'd put the pictures through the process, and I'd have all the pictures ready. And I was just, I was really super happy with them. I would say, oh look, I would love to post the front facade on Instagram. Mm. Do you think that's that, that's cool with you guys? Right? Mm. Oh, actually, Derek, look, if you could hold off, it's going in vogue. Yeah, they have. They have asked for exclusivity. Sorry, it's actually going to be published in 2037. <laughs> so if you can just hang on. Um, yeah. You know, so that was, that's the only painful part of it is that the magazine, you know, there was this exclusivity thing. Oh, there still is. Yeah, well, there still is. I mean, I think p- people probably have to let go a little bit because oh, sometimes I kind of think that it's all a bit of fuss for nothing. Like people, I agree. The, the project is still going to be appreciated. I mean, come on. Not everybody's going to see it on Instagram. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking, you know, one one shot of the facade, that's all I want to post. Um, no, 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 we're holding off to 2037. I'm sorry, you're going to have to wait. Um, it's a, it's like, well, that's been a bit of a, a minefield. And, look, you know, while I would say, well, look, you know what, I'm going to post it anyway, you know, I, I'm not going to do that because that's going to upset the client. Yeah, of course. And, you know, so you, so you want to just keep the piece there but... It, it's it's a huge world, you know, in terms of what's possible, what goes on. I am sort of waiting for what the next entity that might replace Instagram is. I, I mean, there's you and everyone else. Yeah, like I can't see anything on the horizon. I no. mean, TikTok's uh, interesting, but I don't think it's 
it's not really going to replace stills like Instagram no. has. But, you know, maybe for directing and motion potentially. But see, Instagram have got that too. But, yeah. look, you know, it really did transform my career pretty much. At the time it was free advertising. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, and it's funny because there was a couple of other people that when I started they were starting as well. And so we all sort of watched each other and each other's sort of volume just increase. Yeah. It was, it was a good time. Yeah, yeah. It's a good time. It's, and it's still important now. Like Instagram even now is still, you know, a super important form of advertising. I think in terms of the way that, you know, top firms look at it though, it feels like the print media is still the more mm. prestigious place to to share your work. Mm. Mm. I don't think mm. like that's been, really been completely disrupted by that's Instagram. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't get the sense that studios are kind of going, uh, you know, the, the really important place to put these images is Instagram mm. and like the magazines, if they want exclusivity or whatever, they can just go kick rocks, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. We really, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. So the, the, those publications, I'd be interested in your thoughts on mm. kind of where you think that might be heading. You know, we haven't got something to replace Instagram yet, but I wonder if the magazines are going to stick around and still have the sort of cachet that they've got. I like them. I mean, I hope that they kind of oh, do. 100%. I think the more yeah. the more architecture media, the better. I think everyone you know enjoys right. it being there. And well, there's actually not that. There's not funny. much there's of it. Not, yeah, there's not much. Of, it's a bit of a shame. I mean, there used to be quite a few mm. in 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 Australia, but yeah, a couple of unfortunately folded. And like I, you know, I remember Monument Magazine, an absolute cracking mag. Mm. Which folded well. I would say folded, but um, certainly in print form, it, it, it ended. Magazines like that, just fantastic pieces of work. It's almost you know we could almost do with more of them, to be honest. Mm. And I, I agree. I think for architects, print media probably is where they all want to ultimately be. You know, magazines like Vogue Living yeah. uh, and, and probably Vogue and Bell in terms of. Architecture and interiors are probably the yeah. two that I that I hear about the most. Yeah. But it's just impossible to keep abreast for all the time of what the Australian ones are doing. Yeah. I, I, I notice there are one or two that have launched in the in the last 12, sort of 12, 18 months that look great. And you know, the more that we can have, the better. Yeah. I don't think they're gonna disappear anytime soon. In fact, I think I think if anything they'll find a way and they are finding ways in which to adapt like, you know, all your major publishing houses like Arc Media and Niche. They are finding ways to adapt to the digital yeah. uh, template and they're doing pretty, I think they're doing pretty well at it. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, for me, I typically I, I don't necessarily have an idea first up before shooting the job as to where it's going. Okay. So that's not something that your clients are sort of bringing to you? As sometimes, sometimes, but not. That's not the the majority. Aren't like that. They're not going. All right, this is, you know, we've got our site set on local project print magazine for this one. Do us mm-hmm. a local project version of this project. You're not getting that kind of brief so much. Not as much. Like some will give me that information prior, but most of the time, I think they usually intend to have the have the images run in multiple media. Mm, yep. So they'll do a bit of a a media push once they have the pictures. I think it's helpful sometimes to have people out there, expert curators that kind of can mm. lead you towards what's good amongst so many things, right? Absolutely. And say this is the good stuff. At the end of the day, it saves you time, doesn't it? <laughs> trying to, that's right. trying to yeah. you know, trying to narrow down all the projects that's that exactly kind of come right. out. Yeah. So I think that's part of the part of the still the prestige value of the um the publications yes. they're sort of similar to awards in a way, I suppose. It's going, you know, these are the yeah. practices that you should be paying attention to and these are the best projects that are coming out this month or this quarter. I think, yeah, it's always always important to have that. And I think actually just on that point, awards obviously are super important yeah. for architects. Yeah. So, you know, there are there, there is a, a percentage of my client base that they're shooting for the awards. Yeah, and like, the magazines and is and that like January the, for you as a complete write-off or whatever? Just yeah, it is tricky because well, certain awards. I mean, the main one was it the AIA awards? Yeah. Um, in Australia, are uh, I think they're due the first week of March. Yeah, and it does make things pretty tricky because you know you've been away. You know you may have copped a bit of COVID. Yeah, uh, and then you come back to 
you know, let's go, let's go, go, Derek, go, go, let's go, let's go, 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 go. You know, so that makes it a little bit tricky. But a lot of clients are shooting for the awards now and the, and then all the publications and media run all comes From as a secondary concern, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I, I, I kind of do like that way of looking at it as well. Mm. Why do you like that uh, way of looking at it? Uh, it seems to be, I don't know, just, I just feel like it's a, it's a slightly prouder way for them to do it. It's yeah. like, you know, let's get the award stuff right first and this is our work, we're proud of it, we want to put it in the awards and then, you know, yeah, we'll get it into magazines, yeah, maybe down the track, but, you know, let's concentrate on the award stuff and uh, we're going in for the Heritage Award, for example, uh, so, you know, I can shape the shoot based around that relationship, which, you know, which is, uh, I mean, Heritage quite fascinates me. So, yeah, I don't know, I just think it's a nice way of not worrying too much about about the Hollywood of it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm interested in chatting a little bit about your process because mm. you mentioned a couple of times that it was key for your kind of business model to be shooting, you know, lots of times a week and, and you definitely mm. struck me as a as a dude who shoots a pretty solid mm. number of shoots and mm. projects that you take on. So have you built up a real, you know, pretty big operation for being able to be organised around doing that many shoots, you know, every single day? Just tell me a little bit more about how that, how that kind of works and how you plan things and, yeah, just what your process sort of looks like behind the scenes. Yeah, well, I was shooting like that at, at one point. And I, you know, at, as I say, through switching to digital, then then the inception of Instagram, yeah. I was literally shooting five, six days a week. Brutal. And that was great for a while, but then it just became too tiring. Yeah. And then, you, you know, you want to slow down. But I, I, I'll go through phases. I'll go through phases where, you know, I'll thrive on it, the adrenaline and the the sort of, you know, <laughs> the anxiety mm. and then the pressure on you to to go back to the studio, download everything, uh, you know, back up, uh, have someone sit and do some file management for you, then next morning, bang, you're out again. I thrived on it for a while but, you know, I, I did it for a certain amount of time so that I could sort of make hay while the sun shines, I suppose, yeah. in, in some regards. And I don't really mean financially. I just mean build myself a bit of a platform yep. of which I could then experiment a little bit more, you know, as I sort of move forward. So usually the process would be shoot the job, shoot as much material as uh, you think tells the story of the house. You're going to have some input from the client. Yes, take that into account. But really you're out there to shoot a story or to, to to make a story of the house. And there's a certain, for me, I do have a bit of a formula. You know, there'll be certain, you almost shoot the house in chapters. Mm-hmm. So you get, you know, let's just say you've got, it's a 10-chapter house, you get all those chapters, that's the story, the story's been told. Back to the studio, do your basic selection. And I used to do a selection whereby I would, present the client with a set of proof sheets of, say, 40 images. They would select the 20 that they wanted to go with. Yep. They would run back to me a selection or their list of of selected. I would then put those through the process. Mm -hmm. I would export everything. And in terms of the retouching, I would either take that on myself and have somebody in my office do it Mm -hmm. or send it, outsource it to somebody else. Have it done that way. Yeah, and then I changed and I went to a different model. And I would, you know, because that came, that that ended up being a little bit backwards and forwardsy. And I thought, oh, maybe what I'll do is I'll I'll just shoot the house till I think I've got the story. Then I'll just supply the client with all of those. But I'll make sure that I get everything in camera correctly. Like yep. what I'm trying to say is, I pretty much will only shoot images that I personally really believe in. Yep. If I got back to the office and there was 10 out of the 50 that I thought were not good enough past the, past the standard test, I'd flick them. Yeah. But then I'd supply the client the other 40. Mm-hmm. But lately I've gone back to the process <laughs> of really trying to cull down what I'm delivering because I think that the story of the house can be told over 20 images. It doesn't need to be yeah. to go beyond that really. Yeah. So... Usually I'll export everything myself because I'm a bit of a control freak. I want to be able to adjust and and dial in the colours as I see them, as I see they should be represented. I was at the job 
I know how it looked. Yeah. That's how I want it to look. So I'll usually tweak tweak the files to a point of where I'm happy with the export, export the TIFFs, do a whole lot of markups on low res of, of those TIFFs and then outsource those. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sending them to a couple of different yeah. firms at the moment to get them tweaked up. Yeah. So I'll get those back. I'll deliver those to the client. Yeah. Now, you know, the only part of that that changes would be, of course, the time frame in which you're delivering your images to the client. So it's difficult to give an ETA and, look, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm coming in pretty late, but yeah. it's, it, you know, it's I always generally make the deadlines. It's just often purely a question of how how much volume is going through. Yeah. So that's really the operation uh, yeah. for me. In terms of the actual production of it, it's all, you know, it's, it's all pretty much myself. But at the whole time, it becomes tricky because you, you've also got to have another side of you that's willing, or not so much willing, but is, is able to keep the PR machine going as well, mm. which is another story altogether. You know what I mean? So, Wait, wait, just explain a little bit more. What are you talking about? Just keep keep pushing myself out there. Yeah. You know, yeah. keep keep trying to get new clients and, and show, get get people to look at my work and you've got to, as a photographer, you've got to keep continue to push yourself out there because if you, well, this is my point of view anyway, I feel like if you stop, uh, eventually you're going to get to a point where people are going to not so much forget about you, but if you're not in their ear, they'll forget, they'll sort yeah. of, they'll, they'll move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If you're not like so, top of mind, you know, where they're sort of. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got to, you've like, this is going back to the Instagram thing again, you know, like you keep the posting up. I mean, you know, it's you're constantly playing the PR machine as a photographer, Yeah, you know, advertising yourself, showing your work. It's important. Yeah, it seems like also this who you're associated with and your who your clients are also mm, plays quite an important true. role, right? That's true. Do you ever sort of see yourself keeping an eye out for up-and-comers and Kind of, uh, you know, yeah. studios where you go, okay, they're they're onto something really, really cool, and maybe I should strike up a relationship with them and that sort of thing. Yes and no. I yeah. mean, a lot of the young guys have got relationships already because they they may have gone to uni with those guys, yeah. or you know, they they may know those guys through other avenues. I do. Um, I used to do a lot of that some years back, mm. and it, you know, it's it's important to feel comfortable about approaching somebody, you know, you you need to really feel comfortable that, yep. you know, you suit their work as well. Yeah. And it's also about relationships too. Mm. You know, you almost want to be able to have a bit of a chat with the person before you commit to shooting any of their work yep. as well. But look, there's, there's just so many ways of doing it. Yep. You know? Yeah, yeah, I do approach the odd firm that I think I could really do something for but if I see someone who's got, if I see a firm and the, you know, I really like the pictures they're getting done already, typically that's sort of enough for me. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, it'll be like, well, uh, cool. they're doing good stuff. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. I'm such a nice guy. Like, that. I'm just, <laughs> oh, mm, just such a nice me. guy. Just leave, um, just leave him to it. Yep, that's cool. <laughs> oh. so so speaking of um, being a nice guy and helping out the industry <laughs> a little bit. I'm so um, not a nice guy. I guess like also, you know, talking to talking to architects, listening to this sort of thing, uh, I, I do sort of wonder about, you know, maybe some of the classic mistakes that you see them making on their side of the their side of the deal. Mm. I guess mm. like, you know, if you have you've got an opportunity to kind of like educate the photography commissioning public out there yes, about that's um, a thing. That's actually a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah about, no, it is. about their about their approach and maybe what they could do a little bit differently. Do you have any things that grind your gears? Maybe we can do a little bit of a segment on that. <laughs> so yeah, anything that comes to mind that you just want to put the word out there? I think one of the main things mm. and I would say from the onset that most firms that I, I even for the first you know first time, most of them, they're all pretty good. Like, yeah. you know, they're pretty onto it, quite quite frankly. One of the main issues is getting to a house and it's an absolute mess. Mm. <laughs> mm. That's that's a thing. Yep. So I would say as much as is possible, people, <laughs> have the house have the house ready yep. for the photography. Because the last thing the photographer wants to do, and even if you've engaged a stylist, the last thing we want to be doing is cleaning up someone's house. Yeah. Putting, putting toys away, moving a dog bed, 
um, you know, yeah. <laughs> all that, you know, wiping dog snot off windows, you know, that we don't want to do that. That's, that's, that's you're cutting into the time in which we could be achieving some great pictures in the early morning light, but instead, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with yeah. dog snot and, and yeah. you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So it's important. Go and see the house. You may not have seen the client or spoken to the client for a little bit, but go and have a bit of a recce of the house. And, look, I know it's tricky because you're dealing with somebody's home and it's their home and it's up to them as to whether or not they want you in there and what time and you've got to be realistic. You can't be coming into someone's house at yeah. 6.30 in the morning while, you know, they've got, like, little kids and stuff. And so, okay, guys, look, I'll just get you to, you know, get you all just get out. Um, you know, you, you can't. But... But do as much as you can. Have all the windows cleaned. Have the pool balustrade, glass balustrade cleaned. Um, pick up all the junk, you know. Uh, make sure the tradesmen, now don't have any tradesmen on site. Don't have any truck, trade trucks, skips, all that. Like, yeah. you know, think about it. Have a look at the house. Okay, you know, imagine you're taking pictures of it, you know. Oh, well, maybe I don't want all that, you know, broken bits of timber and plasterboard, you know, sitting in a pile in the front yard, you know. Like, yep. you know, make those sort of decisions uh, that you will spend the money on having the windows done because things like windows, you know, it shows up. It's a big deal, you know, and, you know, I'm sort of often having to deal with that kind of stuff. Um, cupboard fronts, kitchen cupboard fronts, clean them, you know. Like I know it sounds pretty petty but, it's stuff that really makes a big difference. Yeah, wow. Personally, I prefer it if the owners are not home yep. for m- multiple reasons. The less people that could be in your way, the better. Yep. You're obviously going to have the client there. I do like having a stylist. Yep. Um, it's not always required, but when you've got a house with a young family and they might have three little kids, you pretty much want a stylist there. Yeah. Because... It's going to be very difficult for you to negotiate the setup and execution of the compositions and things while dealing with, you know, the other kind of human side of it as well. And the good thing about the stylist is the stylist is literally, you know, setting up one area while you're shooting another and then you just move through the house like that. Yeah, yeah, It's just a much more um, convenient way of doing it. But, you know, all I would say to the architects, if you're thinking of commissioning photography, just, just have have the house present in the way that you want to see it present because, you know, the photography and the styling, it, it's not really part of our scope to be cleaning up the house. Yeah. And, you know, you will cut into that time if, if that's, you know, yeah. going to take, if we arrive and we have to do those things. It's so funny because it's such a such a rookie mistake, right? Um, to, to, but you a know, lot of people I think know, that that's what you've got to do. It's funny that you'd be out there, you know, spending you know, really decent decent money getting getting a Derek Swalwell yeah. to come along and shoot your project. Mm. You know, you're really going you, mm. you, you, you're going hard on this project, you know. You're, yeah. you're investing yeah. big time. but You're really yeah. coming in hot. But, like, yeah, let's let right. the house be dirty and have broken plasterboard yeah. out the front. <laughs> that's right. Let's get some dog snot around yeah, the joint. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's yeah. <laughs> so that's that's so that's, a, that's the that's the that's big one. Thing. That's the low hanging fruit. Um, yeah, gotcha. That's right. And you know, otherwise, pretty much, I don't get personally. I don't get too many issues. I don't like being overly directed. That's yep. sort of a little annoying. Can you be under directed? I mean, if you get no direction, are you happy? Are you are you going? Yep, cool. You know, it's not my first rodeo. If I get no direction. Um, well, yeah, no, that's true. But if I get no direction, I will try to bring the client into into having a look at some of the pictures as I'm yep. cruising through. Yeah. Um, but usually, if I get no direction, that means that they're comfortable. They're like, "No, nah, mate, I'm going to leave it up to you. Yep. You do, you know, you do what you need to. Yep. Uh, even even down to things like I'll ask them, okay, hey. Do you want that chair there? Are you fussed about that chair? Or, you know, do you want us to take it out because I think I'm going to shoot with it in there? And they'll say, no, nah, no, nah, you know, you do what you want to do. So I guess there's, there's, there's good and bad in both scenarios. But I think if you're getting no direction, you need to just cover yourself by making sure that, that the client sees a few, sees a handful Yeah, yeah, you of don't the, want any pictures. You don't want to be coming back later. You don't want to looking come back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, which, is, which has never really happened to me, but. Uh, but the potential's there for it to happen. Yeah. Um, 
Overdirection is probably the trickier one because it can cause a bit of a- angst on the set. And yeah. <laughs> quite quite frankly, there are going to be times when the client's idea of a good shot isn't yours. Yeah. And it's and and you can't necessarily say to them. It's very difficult to articulate. It's actually, I'm sorry, but that shot's actually shit. Yeah. Right. It's difficult to articulate that to them. So you've got to be very careful, even though you know that the angle they want is just not your style and it's just not what you want to do. And, I mean, some would say, well, can't you just do what you want to do and then just grab that for them? Not really if it, you know, if it's ultimately going to get pushed out there into the world and it's (laughs) maybe. That's what I mean. Like it's that's a tough one. And that, that, that sort of comes down to relationships as well. But, again, I've really had not a lot of trouble with, with – I, yep. I probably get 5% of my client list that do want to come in a little strong and uh, you just have to deal with it at the time, you know. You mentioned, you mentioned styling. Just quickly on that, you know, because yeah. you are obviously very familiar with the sort of ultra-high-end kind of uh, interiors-focused stuff, Vogue mm. and all that sort of thing. I kind of get this sort of impression that, you know, if you really want to see a project kind of at that level interiors-wise, the type of stylist you're going to need, I mean, if, you have an, or if you're not working with like an interior design firm or something like that, but mm, where it's mm, just mm. kind of the architect has done their architecture thing and some interiors, but they haven't been helped, mm. they haven't been involved in terms of selecting furniture, selecting furniture. artwork, all the sort of loose objects yep. and stuff like that. I mean... Do you generally yeah. want to get a stylist who's also just going to completely yeah. reimagine that kind of that, the entire right. furniture I, space? I do. Yeah. And and it's actually good now because architects are starting to do that more and more. Yep. Uh, now, it it one of the things that traditionally was a, was an issue with that was the cost because, you know, yeah. the stylist has to do a lot of logistics and the logistics are expensive. Yeah. I'm talking about couriers and stuff. So if yeah. you're shooting down the peninsula, you know, your couriers might be ten grand. You know, something out. insane. You know, yeah. if you're if you're redecking a whole joint, yeah. you know, because I guess a lot of people will go to the expense of how can I say, you know, building a house down at having an architect do a house down at Sorrento for them. Mm. Um, but then they've just blown every all their money. They've got no more money left, so they just put, you know the most basic furniture from their previous rental or whatever yeah, in there. Yeah. So that sort of thing happens. But I, I do think it's important, not for every house, because I suppose it depends on the package that the architect has done. If they've done a full package where they've specified the furniture, uh, and, you know, the carpets, uh, you know, the decor, everything, well, then you're in pretty good, good hands. Yeah, in that yeah, regard. yeah. always can, a good situation. You can sort of work it out, yeah. yeah. But I find that, like, you know, you might get, funky little extensions in Fitzroy or something, you know, lovely young couple, but, you know, the budget's been <laughs> smashed, yeah, you know, yeah. so they haven't been able to get the the, the DDC sofa or, yeah. or, or whatever it might be. So the stylist is brought on board, you know, that's all, all, uh, all good and well, but it's, it is quite expensive. So it's just, it's just, I suppose, the client seeing the value in that um, and, being willing to sort of go ahead and engage somebody uh, who could work out a package that's, you know, going to present a story without it, you know, necessarily making it look like a furniture showroom or, or, or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, I, yeah, I mean, the other thing about styling is the people that I work with, they all do have their own sort of look. Yep. And so... Architects do often ask me, oh, you know, we're thinking about a stylist. Is there anybody that you would recommend for this particular house? And, you know, I'll usually be able to look at the house and sort of have an idea straight away who I think's appropriate for it. It also sort of depends on where it is, you know, if it's coastal or if it's, uh, you know, in the Macedon Ranges yeah. or, uh, you know, whatever. Um, but these days, yeah, I do find that architects are a little more willing to to take on the styling aspect. Some firms do it themselves, which I also think is quite successful. Yep. Um, you know, if you get an interior design firm who might, you know, they might have six or seven staff so they can afford three, perhaps, they can afford three people to take on the project themselves and say, all right, well, look, we've got Derek shooting it, so how about you three? Yep put a bit of a styling package together and carry that out for us. Yeah, so I, I do think it's a thing. 
but again, it's 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 an expense, and it's it's also a bit of an imposition on some owners. Yes. You know, they don't want someone coming in and taking out the club lounge and you know <laughs> yeah. putting in a you know putting in something from space. Yep. Yep. So uh, that part of it, I normally leave to the architect, obviously, yep. to negotiate with the client. Um, and it, it can sometimes be a little bit sort of, yeah, a bit awkward. Who moved the, yeah. you know, a bit orcs. Um, yeah. But uh, but nine times out of ten, it's not, you know, it's, it's not an issue yeah. for most people. You know, yeah. artwork on walls, that sort of is a bit of a thing as well. Because you, you, you get you, seriously, you just get all kinds of stuff. Yeah, you know, yep. you, you get like those motivational dolphin pictures, <laughs> right through to like you know big eyes. Yeah, yeah. You get you get so much random stuff. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Quite funny. It, but, uh, it's amazing, yeah. like at the at the high end, you know, the scale of investment that goes into mm. from a, from an architect standpoint or interior designer yeah. standpoint, spending money to produce a set of images around a project. Um, oh yeah, but I mean, mm. it, yeah, it it really does scale up. You know, I've got a couple of upcoming guests where I've just had a quick chat to them, and you know, they're, mm. they're saying that they they work out that they're probably spending you know fifteen twenty grand on a shoot yeah. all in, including oh, photography, yeah. styling, staging, like yeah, or it. just the whole the yeah. whole thing. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I suppose out of that fifteen or twenty grand. You know, they might get a pretty good run of media out of it. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's 12 months worth of... often the more you spend, the better the run, you know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's right. If you you do it on the cheap, you know, you're not really going to... Yeah, or not do it on the cheap, but yeah. Don't take full advantage of the things that you could, the potential of the project, I suppose, is the way of looking at it. But look, you know, I would say 20 grand's pretty good. If you can get a shoot, (laughs) if you can get a styling shoot... And and uh, you know a, a bit of you know media hit for twenty grand. I reckon that's yeah. twelve months worth of media or whatever yeah, it might yeah, happen yeah, to be. Yeah. Uh, I reckon that's 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 quite reasonable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of firms now, like uh, I do a lot of work for Kennedy Nolan. Yeah. And uh, favourites in terms of the photography. Yeah, me it. too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're 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 very good friends of mine. Yeah. After you know twenty years plus of, of working together. Yeah. They get it. That like the, yeah, the architecture and interior right. stuff like it. Yeah, 100%. That's right. Yeah. They tend to do their projects in batches. So, you know, they'll do they'll do anything from four to six projects within 2 months. Yep. Okay. And then they'll they'll chill out for 9 months yep. or maybe even 12 months yep. or maybe even longer and then they'll do another batch of half a dozen. Yep. You know, so they're making a sort of a, a short thick investment. Yep. In one time, and then, but they'll roll that material out. They're very smart. They'll roll that material out gradually yeah. over the course of the next sort of twelve Makes months. Sense. They do all their styling in house. Yeah. They have uh, a great team in there that um, know, that Adriana and, yep. and, and, and you know they know exactly what they're doing. And so, a lot more firms are doing that yep. now too. Yep. You know, with the way they shoot and style. But look, yeah, certainly. I mean, take full advantage because you've got access to the house. You, the owners of Agreed, they're going to let you in for the course of a couple of days. So you know, take full advantage, get the styling, make the house look its best, have it cleaned up, and then yep. you know we'll produce some great pictures. Yep, you know, yep. makes that sense. Would be how I'd see it. Yeah, and <laughs> I think it works. Like the economy of scales of that works at, at like practices the level of as mm. established as you know Kennedy Nolan. You're thinking like I don't know. I don't know, five to $10 million turnover practice, I suppose, mm. maybe more, I don't mm. know. But take five projects, five times 20 grand in a, in a mm. two-month patch, 100K, yep. that's, you know, mm. 90% of your marketing for the year basically covered that's in right. terms of expense uh, for the most part by those, by those yep. key investments in that photography. And at certain practice size, there's, there's almost like you could spend any amount on it and it's still relatively speaking kind of small potatoes right. as a business expense, I suppose. But, yeah, hundred. Oh, I don't have to spend it, so I can say that, can I? <laughs> sure. No, I understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, that's the, but that's very true. I mean, you, when especially when you look at the budgets and some of the on, on some of the houses, yeah. uh, uh, as, as well, yep. uh, you know. And depending on the firm, some of the media runs can go for ages. Yes. Like you know, I've shot some houses that have just gone absolutely bananas yeah. on 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 every bit of social media you can imagine. Yeah. And in print, yeah, you know, yep. and in the newspaper, yeah, you know, and you know, so uh, for as you say, a relatively small investment yep. in terms of scale, the reward can be pretty high. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, once again, it's it's it dependent largely on the firm that you're talking about, what they, you know, what what budget they have at their disposal. Yeah, it's it's about managing it strategically yeah. at those smaller scales of practice, right? Because I think like, you know, that's for right. a, I think almost anybody could go, oh yeah, how do I how do I make it happen when I'm a, you know, 20 person, 30 person practice? I think you can very easily make decisions about how to spend a lot of money at that mm. stage, but mm. I, mm. I think smaller practices yeah. they have to make really tough choices about how they spend the money and is it all yeah. do we go all in on the photography and then not do anything on the styling or you know, it's like kind of a finding well, that balance yeah. is that's right. But, yeah, yeah, but look, but no, it's a it's a very good point because I would say that not all is lost on those smaller firms. Yeah, it could be just the two directors, yep. and like we're talking like I don't know twenty five year old dudes or whatever. Yep. You know, and look, they don't have X amount to spend yep. on. It's doable. Yep. It can be worked with. It's all just a matter of you know working out an approach yep. that's going to be best for the for the house. I suppose a lot of the clients I deal with. For the most part, not all of them, but yeah, they are. We are talking bigger budget houses, yep. so they're sort of that's what they're going to do from the onset. Yep. Um, but the smaller ones, certainly, uh, it, it's just a matter of working out an approach on the house. You know, sometimes even shooting the house empty mm. is a thing. Mm. Mm. You know, so it's all just how you approach yep. it, yep. really, and 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 what and managing the balance. Yeah. But Derek, I think I've taken up enough of your time today. You've probably got to go to no worries, another mate. shoot or probably another two. I'm actually going to one this afternoon. Oh, my goodness. Just, at, just non-stopping. You did one this morning. Here. Unbelievable. Um, oh, well, it's the same one This because – Different chunks. Yeah. Gotcha. No, no, that's fine. But, no, but just because of the because of the, the Singapore weather, I've, uh, I've um, taken a break through the middle of the day oh, to talk to you, but also legend. it's been raining. So Perfect. Thank you so much. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and, and just, you know, just talking, going through so many different areas of your work. I really appreciate it. Maybe we'll do it oh, again pleasure. sometime. Um, For sure, mate. Yeah. For sure. When you take a six-month sabbatical from photography just to rest your feet or something, we can, we can yeah, do a couple sure. of episodes. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Derek. Absolutely, mate. No problem. Pleasure. Thanks, Dave. That was my conversation with Derek Swalwell. If you'd like to learn more about Derek and see his work, you can visit DerekSwalwell.com. You can also follow Derek on Instagram at Derek underscore Swalwell. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.